All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. I am joined, as always, by my pleasant co-host, Ms. Mark Yusko, and we've got a special guest, uh, Joseph Wang, joining us uh, this week, too. Fellas, welcome to the show. Awesome. Awesome. Great to see you, Joseph. Thanks for being here. And uh, Pleasure to be here. Thanks. To I'm going to do, do a super quick sock reveal. I, I do have the Bitcoin orange, Bitcoin Friday. <laughs> and I went back to old school Genesis block uh, socks today. I think mm. it's time to go back to first principles and mm. uh, really kind of remember why we're all here. Uh, mm. You know, people are really down. People are really... Uh, unhappy kind of end of the world talk. And like, guys, like the Mount Gox situation was way worse, like way, way worse. So mm. this too shall pass. King Solomon's advisors were right. So uh, mm. back to first principles, the Genesis block, new birth, new birth, baby. I, well, speaking of, speaking of, I actually assigned the adjective pleasant because, uh, I am pleasantly full after Thanksgiving. My my pants are feeling pleasantly tight uh, across my uh, bumping up against my stomach. Do you guys have a good? Th- I mean, what's the Thanksgiving tradition look like for the two of you? Uh, so Joseph and- ours is. I've been doing the same thing for thirty eight years. We go to Oklahoma, uh, where my mm. in laws are, and uh, they have a little piece of property out in in Coweta, Oklahoma. Mm. They live in Tulsa. So everyone's telling me I got to watch Tulsa King now with with Sly Stallone because uh, I spend so much time in Tulsa, but. Um, I, I, I tweeted a picture of, of me catching a bass. One of the best parts of, of the holiday is bass fishing on their little lake. And we do a Christmas exchange and shoot guns and ride four wheelers. And it's good stuff and eat way too much. Yeah. I, the amount of pie consumption is, is very large. Yeah. Just yeah. Same, same with me. I bake a Turkey, eat tremendous amounts of food with my family and then eat the same turkey for the next few days until you're sick of turkey. And then you don't want to see turkey again until the next Thanksgiving. So really, Thanksgiving is the only time in the year I eat turkey and I, you know, get sick of it afterwards. But before that, it's, it's really nice. I, I enjoy Thanksgiving. I will, I will die on the hill that the after the leftover sandwiches are actually better than the Thanksgiving meal. I know it's a bit of a controversial. I know it's a controversial mm-hmm. opinion, but it is. When you get this, you get the sandwiches, you, get, you put some cheese in there, a little bit of pickles. Like It's just, it's... Oh, no, look, it, there's nothing like a true turkey breast sandwich, but I will die on the hill that the dark meat chopped up, put in gravy, poured over uh, mashed potatoes and pan-fried stuffing is almost as good, almost as good as, as the original meal. But... Uh, a, a real turkey drumstick right mm. off the turkey. I, I, I'm sorry. That's, that's mm. just number one. Hey, you'll not get hungry. much. Bar- yeah, it's, I know. I'm like, I, I can actually <laughs> eat a little bit more. I haven't eaten that much today. Um, okay, guys, in terms of the agenda for, for today's chat, I, I'd like to get opinions on uh, the, I almost don't want to talk about it that much. I feel like I've been talking about it all week and I, I'm sort of of the opinion that I'd almost like to stop, start giving this guy less airtime, but you know, SBF did have, give his speech at the Dealbook Summit with Andrew Rossorkin this week. So, Mark, I have a feeling uh, I know how you feel about that. But, Joseph, I'd love to get your opinion, too, because, you know, you're a little bit less in the crypto bubble that, that Mark and I are. So it'd be great to get kind of a more traditional uh, financial person's opinion on that. Uh, next, I want to I talk about the Brookings speech that Powell gave uh, on Wednesday, which markets reacted super positively to, uh, as well as the jobs report that kind of came out. Also, you know, we're recording this on December 2nd. We're starting to get to the time of the year where 2022 is winding down. And I'd love to get high-level thoughts on what the two of you are expecting for next year. December, I think, is the month of uh, let's do a wrap-up for what happened this coming year and what we're expecting going into the future. So maybe I can just tee things up by, uh, you know, talking about the the SBF speech that he gave during Dealbook. You know, it's kind of a controversial opinion, I think, for Andrew Ross Sorkin and Dealbook to still host. Speech is so SBF. kind. It, mm. it, 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 the, the guy is incapable of speech. That, that, yeah. that was my major takeaway. I mean, to, you know, to Andrew Ross Sorkin's credit, I thought he asked pretty, I thought he asked a lot of hard questions. I was a little worried about softballs in the beginning. I thought he asked hard questions about where funds went. Basically every question that, that I would have liked to ask him myself. I think the, the, two, the two things that I'd like to get uh, an understanding from both of you are on how do you think he, is he, it seems like he's doing a full, full court press on the court of public opinion. Do you think that's actually going to be beneficial to him or not? And then in terms of legal liability, 
right? Every sort of grown up in the room person with a legal background is saying, this is a horrendous idea from a defense perspective. So there's kind of a legal liability standpoint thing here. And then there's a court of public opinion. So whoever wants to take it first, I mean, how do you think this speech played in the in the court of public opinion? Joseph, maybe we can get your, your yeah. take because, uh, yeah. Well, I will be honest. I'm, I'm a bit yeah. more removed from this, as as you noted. I actually didn't listen to his speech. I see what that surprises me is why is he still wandering around giving speeches? It seems like he should be holed up somewhere, lawyered up, being prepared to, to face a very long legal battle. So this mm. really surprises me. And to your point, I think that he, he does seem to have a campaign of going around buying favorable publicity. Um, from what I see, a lot of mainstream media outlets seem to have written very glowingly of him. Um, he does seem to also have a lot of political support. It seems like he's been making donations, so he's kind of been building support for some time now. And that seems to be protecting him. And I think that's really, really depressing for, for most people. It really hurts confidence in the legal and financial system. I mean, people have already perceived that there's tremendous amounts of injustice in how our system is is set up. I mean... Most recently, for example, there's what happened with Jeffrey Epstein. He's just kind of mysteriously disappears in a cell. He is allegedly runs this huge, you know, this ring. And, uh, you know, there's no client list. So nobody knows everything's and, gone. And Joseph, so, do, do you by any chance, do, do, do you know where that money actually went? Epstein's money? I have no idea. See, that's the thing. This, oh, this, just, company, this company that's in the news a lot lately, FTX or, or something like that. I, I, it's, it's, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. No. Gosh. Yeah. I guess so. We'll never find out, right? Just close the book. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> we, no we, we have found out. I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. <laughs> and and remember, how, remember how Jeffrey got that money? Does anyone remember that? There was a power of attorney question around another mysterious death and disappearance of a guy named Rupert Murdoch. And literally the next day, this this guy that no one had ever heard of. Said, oh, I have a power of attorney. I get all his money. And then he vanishes. And this company comes out of nowhere, like literally came out of nowhere and became the second largest purportedly crypto exchange in the world. Hmm. Hmm. Funny hmm. how that works. Wow. So it's really suspicious. Yeah, it's def definitely weird. I mean, Mark, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the the speech, but do you think this is playing well for him or uh, is he look, just digging I, himself a hole? I intentionally didn't watch because it, it just, it's just not yeah, good for my, my heart. Yeah. I mean, it just, mm -hmm. it just pisses me off so much. The fact that look, Bernie Madoff, the day after he announced or admitted, not announced, admitted the fraud to his son, he was in jail, like in handcuffs, in jail. And he was my neighbor, you know, down the road in North Carolina for a number of years before he passed. We think he passed, um, but I'm pretty sure he's passed. Um, but the fact that this guy's roaming around having puff pieces written by the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and New Yorker, I mean, calling him a, a misunderstood philanthropist instead of a common criminal. I mean, I tweeted out the, the, the compilation of the CNBC stuff. They called him Carnegie. They called him... Morgan, Rockefeller, uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, they called him Michael Jordan. They called him Jesus. They called him, and I said, these people, Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, more, they built stuff, like stuff that still exists. Okay. Michael Jordan, Jesus, gods, right? Gods. This guy, not a hero, not a savior, not a god, not a builder. He's a criminal. He's a criminal. And to answer your question, Michael, and I don't want to get too worked up about it, but to answer your question, yeah, this is playing really well in the court of public opinion. Like grandmothers, are, oh, that poor boy, that poor boy, he, he's so confused. He, he, he looks so sad. He's being, oh my gosh, that's what I'm hearing. Like people are watching this disheveled, uh, twittery guy and say, oh my gosh, a poor boy. No, 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 no. Criminal, criminal. And even if you believe my view that he's the useful idiot, that he is not a genius, that he got into MIT because his parents got him in and that Caroline is not a genius, that these are idiots. They are useful idiots. If you think of a really higher power, 
that's been funded by big money. And Joseph said it, right? Follow the money. Maxine Waters tweet today. Oh, we admire you, Sam, how you've been so honest and forthright. Are, are you joking? I mean, I think that was joking? a disheartening tweet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, I don't personally grant that the higher power thing, but I think it's a, I agree with the, the broad strokes of what both of you are saying. I think it was a disheartening, disheartening speech to say the least. And I also think it's a little gross. A lot of media are flying down to the Bahamas and interviewing him. I don't think there's much to be said in the realm of journalistic integrity at this point. We The facts are kind of out there. I don't think there's much to be gained in terms of getting exposure to his thoughts. I think it's kind of engaging engagement farming yeah, at this point. This is, this is a is what it systematic, is, you know? this is the OJ defense, right? This think? is Johnny Cochran-esque. Okay, put on the gloves and show everybody the gloves don't fit. Spread your fingers really wide so it looks like they don't fit. They're your gloves. I mean, they have blood on them. I mean, the, the evidence is there and this guy's trying to say, oh, I don't know how to code. I, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand the bank accounts. He, he's just trying to play dumb and he's being advised. And even the leak of, oh, the lawyers fired him. That's made up. That is made up part of the PR campaign that is being run by really powerful, well-financed people. He has the highest paid, most fabulous lawyers that other people are paying for, because this is a gravy train that people don't want to end. This is, a, this is the biggest money laundering scandal in history that could blow up and get exposed. And they're just going to let this guy flip and mark my words, not, not issuing will on anybody. A vanishing experience is certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Do you think, do you guys think that's possible? So here's the thing I know that. So like you mentioned, Mark, there's this tremendous, tremendous media coverage trying to make him look like a good guy. And they probably have the power to make it memory hold this, make this whole thing go away. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we also have all these independent media outlets like Blockworks who are yes. doing a great job reporting on this. Yes. And we also have Elon, who is now in control of Twitter. Now, I don't know how Elon feels about this, but I, I have to suspect that if at least he's probably a little bit more open, uh, like the control over it. He's a little tight people. with some people on the <clears throat> same side, but okay, I agree with you, Joseph. I, probably I think better really than it was before, right? I mean, better, better, I, I think better. So, so I guess a couple questions, I, I don't know what, what you guys' are thoughts on this are, is it that it was always like this coordinated and, and so this um, uniform and so basically this dishonest it's just that because we have these outlets like blockworks now that we know better or is it that there there really is this this movement now that they're they're trying to do and and do you think that the independent outlets like blockworks and twitter outlets can actually um push have enough strength to push against this narrative so that we can actually get some more facts at least some more justice in, in what happened with ftx i think it's a fantastic fantastic it's a really question. good question joseph no, it's, it's, and it, and it, and I think it's exactly right. You know, if you go back to the big hairy cases that where you, you just shake your head and like, how did that person get off? Like, but it's in the court of public opinion. It's, it's in that media narrative. And look, we've talked about this on, on the show in the back. Remember, you know, the, the, the church had the monopoly on information for hundreds of years until the printing press came along and busted that monopoly. Then the monopoly power went to the media and the media, whether state owned or state influenced, shall we say, controlled everything until the internet. But in the early part of the internet, it wasn't ubiquitous enough. We didn't carry these around. And so it was still newspapers. Newspapers still mattered. And, but now I think there's enough independent journalism and Twitter in particular, like I don't read newspapers ever. In fact, I, I, I'm kind of afraid of Twitter going away because I rely on it for smart people that I follow's opinion on things, for facts, for people posting facts. Like if I want to know about Argentina, I don't want to read about a New York Times puff piece about some dictator. I want to hear people in the street on Periscope talking about Argentina. So 
I do think that, that, that the reality, the truth is out there. And there's some great, great um, content out there on this and, and on exactly what happened. And, and I said, the linkages, you know, here's the thing. In the old days, just so I meet you at the park and we sit on a bench and I walk away and you're like, Mark, Mark, you forgot your backpack. I'm like, don't hear you. No, Mark, Mark, you forgot your backpack. And you look inside, it's full of money. Keep that backpack. No way to trace that. Okay. Now, if I sent you money on chain, that can be traced. And here's the crazy thing about this whole story. There's stuff that is not conjecture, right? It's not conjecture that money went from Ukraine to FTX. It's not conjecture. It's not, there's not conjecture that money went from the US government to Ukraine. Not conjecture. It's not, it's not not verifiable that Zelensky and SBF were on the same stage at different times at the New York Times thing. So there's, if it was a bag of money, it wouldn't be traceable. But now you have these people who can go and do real analysis and say, well, wait a minute, those properties that his parents owned are owned by shell companies that SBF actually is this 100% owned. Wait a second. So I, I, did, I did have to laugh. There was a there's a title of a New York Post article, which was something like, oh, it never came up. You know, SBF, he said, oh, yeah, it just never came up that my parents were living in a 16 and a half million dollar house that I paid for. Really? You know, at the dinner <laughs> table, there was like never a, hey, by the way, thanks for this uh, 17 million dollar mansion that I'm currently living in. I, you know, I, I want to make sure that we get to the other part of our conversation because I, I know this part gets a little emotional. I, my personal view on this is that I really do sort of subscribe to the Neil Howe fourth turning uh, lack of trust in institutions writ large. And I think you can sort of see little chips in institutions forming across the board. It's very hard to predict when and how they'll fall. I would love to sit here and tell you that the kind of combination of the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, New York Times, Washington Post don't dictate what is truth for most Americans. I think it does, to be honest, for, for the time being. I think the dollar is, it's the basically the only currency, it's the, the largest currency, it's the one that really matters for now. I think, yeah. you know, there, there are these big institutions that get built up over enormous periods of time. Eventually, they sort of abuse their power. They're not necessarily serving the needs of the people anymore. And they tend to, it doesn't have to be this big dramatic thing. You can just look at history. They tend to crumble and reform. It's really difficult to predict when that is. I, I personally think there's... My view of it is there's an enormous blind spot in media to the point where value signaling becomes, I don't know. I, I, I think there's at least an enormous blind spot in, in media uh, to the point where- Again, Michael, you, you're so kind. I, I, I love, I love I, how I, kind. I, no, I really do. I mean, I really admire, yeah. you, are, you are a genuinely kind and, 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 and heartening person. You, you believe in, in goodness and I, I do too except I'm old and I've been beat over the head so many times and disappointed, just follow the money, right? Who are the biggest contributors? Who are the biggest advertisers to those entities? Banks, you know, how many, mm. how many full page ads did FTX take out in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times in the past two years when he was creating his media blitz? How much money did he spend, you know, backing political candidates? I mean, it, it, in the end, follow the money. That's that's how people are incented in this world. And, mm. um, you know, it, it, the, the coincidences are just too many, right? It's not, it's, it, it can't be that the fact that his mother is a massive pack organizer for people who use a vehicle to get around campaign finance laws to back Democrats, and again, this, I'm, this is not partisan. I'm, I actually used to be one, I guess. I mean, I, I, I just, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I am so horrified at, at what has gone on. And, and, and the fact that people still want to give this guy the benefit of the doubt, and not, you're not doing it, but I, it's, it's mind boggling to me. Yeah, you can, you can look at my Twitter feed. I have, I've basically been tweeting about this nonstop for the last two weeks. It's been very frustrating to me. T totally agree with you, Mark. And you know what? 
it's also really surprising to me, not just following the trail of money, is that it actually doesn't take that much money to buy influence too, right? <laughs> I think that's <laughs> everyone else. Yeah, it's so scary. I mean, it's just, it's you know, a few million. A lot of people have a few million dollars. I mean, think about all the other people, all the other rich people in the world. They have tons of money. Or even think about foreign governments. They have even more money. Think about what kind of influence they're getting. So um, it, it's a... Uh, it's disheartening, really. It is. Yeah, but then then you get the heartening thing. I, I tweeted about this guy from Senegal, the the soccer player, that you know is making ten million dollars a year, and he's carrying around this cracked iPhone eleven, and people are you know tweeting at him like, "Oh, you, why don't you buy a new phone?" It's like, because I give my money to build orphanages and teach kids, and who cares about phones and Ferraris and diamond watches? I'm like, oh my god, I love, I love you. that. It, it just it it just boom. I mean, it just made my heart explode, and it's such a good. I needed that today. I'll tell you what, fellas, this is going to be good vibes only for the rest of this. We got all of our <laughs> sinister Saturdayness out. It's good vibes only right. for the rest of this episode. Uh, I actually have been having a wonderful day. I called Jason. I said, I'm having the best day I've had in months. It's been all right. We're going to rename it Sunrise reasons. Saturday. Okay. Just, I love that. That's Saturday. great. Excellent. Um, all right, guys. That being said, I want to move on to our next uh, talk here. So Powell gave a talk here at the Brookings Institute today. Uh, Joseph, I saw you tweet a couple of things out about this. Maybe I could get your sort of high-level take. The market responded extremely positively. I guess the TLDR is basically that Powell has indicated that more moderate rate increases can be expected. Although, you know, quote, we're still going to be retaining restrictive monetary uh, restrictive monetary position. Unsure, those sort of seem to be conflicting statements, at least to me. But uh, maybe I'm missing something. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think you got the big points. So. You're totally right that the market reacted very violent to it. And but mm -hmm. I, I'd caution that though. So oftentimes market price markets react to um well markets basically just buying and selling, and that happens due to a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And I know you've spoken with some volatility experts on this show. One of the things that I've learned from people like Jim Carson, for example, is that when you go into these big event days, when you have like a FOMC meeting or a big Fed speech, a lot of times what happens is that people hedge for that. So you can think of it as they're being short the market just in case that something happens and the market crashes. But once that event risk passes, they buy back their hedges and there's often this huge relief rally. So you see that happen often. And you've seen it quite a few times on FOMC days the past this past year. So looking at price action on these event risk days, it's 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 we have to be cautious not to attribute it directly to what was said at the conference. That being mm -hmm. said, though, I think that looking at Paul. It seemed from his speech that he basically said the same things he's been saying and that the market has been anticipating for the past few weeks. As you noted, Mike, that he strongly suggested that they're going to shift down instead of hiking 75 if they, as they did last time, they hike 50. He also strongly suggested that he's going to keep going until the job is done. So they're going to retain, remain restrictive for longer. But so that's all new. That's all old, old news, nothing, nothing special. But what was a bit more interesting was during Q&A session. And it was a really good Q&A session. You got some good um, questions and I think some useful answers. One of the things that stuck out to me was that he mentioned a couple of times about concerns of over tightening. Now, if you think about what Paul had said in Jackson Hole or his last FOMC press compressor, he was pretty hawkish. He was trying to give a very aggressive um, indication that he's going to be uh, he's going to be Volcarisk, and there was never any mention of over tightening from him. And now he's he's kind of hinting that a little bit. So all in all, even though the overall message was the same, there's just some a little bit more softness there than it was before. And I think that 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 does represent a, a very subtle shift. I don't think it's huge, but it's something we're thinking about. Um, and he also, what I thought was very interesting was he was very very transparent and how he goes about thinking about how he's going to act. He broke down inflation going forward into three components. One was goods, the other was services ex-housing, and the third was services. Um, uh, third was housing, sorry. So there was services, serv services, uh, services ex-housing, and then housing, and then goods. And just looking at those three segments, helps the market understand how to calibrate their reaction function going forward. The big mm -hmm. thing going forward is going to be jobs because most of inflation, most of what's in PCE has to do with services excluding housing. And that is mostly driven by wages. So that's why um, today's job print was particularly important, which is, I guess we'll talk about later. So, but anyway, it, it doesn't look like inflation is moderating so far, even though the market is very happy. 
Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I, again, I, I think Joseph's analysis is, is spot on. Uh, I, I kind of take a couple other things away. One is, you know, this guy has been, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, for a while, right? I mean, since he came in, remember when he was, when he was appointed, he was Jerome, buttoned up, tie, you know, formal, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to hike rates and I'm going to, I'm going to get us back to normal and I'm a hawk and, and, you know, pictures of hawks everywhere he went. And then he turned into Jay, you know, Trump kind of beat him with a stick and he turned into Jay, J-A-Y, the dove. And, oh, I, did I say raise rate? I, I meant cut rates. So I'm a cut rates. But then when, and, and I don't, I don't know what happened. I mean, maybe he, like Sam, forgot his Adderall that day. I don't know. But he turned into J, just the letter J with the hoodie, the pusher. And he's like giving out stimmies, like all over the, the you know, broad and wall. And, and then like night and day, after he increases the money supply, again, been a republic for 246 years, 244 years, half the money, two and a half years, half the money. Ugh! Okay, crazy, crazy. After he went, you know, apeshit, Alameda, you know, fraud crazy. Um, I probably shouldn't link that in there. But uh, then all of a sudden, he's back to Jerome and the hawk. And like, there's a picture of him and Alfred Hitchcock and the hawks. And so... I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, maybe this guy, when he's off his meds, he's one thing and he was on his meds. He's, I don't know. It's the, the, the back and forth between Dove and Hawk is really hard to manage. But I think Joseph's point is, is so important. And it's, it's back to your other, other point, Michael, too, which is the, the gamification of markets and the social mediaization of markets coupled with this hedger's hedge, right? If if you're worried that he's going to over-tighten, which we all should be worried about because I think he has already, then hedging makes sense. But if mm. then he says, oh, did I say tighten? I, I meant I meant got a, a path towards getting less tightened. Then you got to unwind it. But the problem is it's not with, it's not with um, uh, spot anymore. It's with options. And futures contracts and, you know, the volatility contracts and all these pension funds that have been selling vol and, and you get these, these convex, not convexity. Um, what the hell is it? It's one of the, one of the Greeks. I can't remember which one it is. Theta. It's, it's one of these theta. Hmm. Oh, no, that's not right. What it would, anyway. Um, gamma. Gamma. It's a gamma squeeze. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I knew it was a Greek, but you get one of these gamma squeezes and, and that's why I keep tweeting out. I said, guys, there are no up 3% days or 4% days in bull markets. Zero. There are none. Mm. They're all in bear markets. And it's because it's exactly this. It's the market reacting or overreacting to good news or worse, perceived good news. Like, like this you know, um, uh, announcement that he's only going to raise 50 basis points. That's kind of perceived good news. That's not really good news. That means he's still tightening. Yeah. You know, we've become very accustomed. It's funny that you bring up the idea of good news. I mean, it's very, I was just doing a little bit of research before this podcast. And, you know, when you're Googling jobs report, something like that, very typical headline to say the U.S. stock market is up on, you know, or down on jobs, jobs beat. Yeah. And we've just had this for such a long time that good news is bad news and bad news is good news because when there's bad news, we know that the Fed helps in and gives out stimulus, which is what the market really wants. I, basically for as long as I've been paying attention to, to markets, that's been the case. Is that destined to be forever? Or does that eventually nope. shift? Nope. No way. No way. Look, we've had hundreds of years of markets. We're talking about a really 13-year phenomenon that was created post-gold financial crisis with this bringing back of QE. And that's not 100% fair because we, we had this in the 30s. Um, mm. You know, we had QE in the 30s. That's when the term was invented. It wasn't invented in 2009. We had QE. The Fed tried to get off QE in, in, 2000, in uh, 1937, and, and we had a second wave of the Depression. So I wasn't alive in the 30s, so I, you know, I don't really know all that stuff. But clearly, the bulk of markets, of hundreds of years of markets, is not like this. It's, it's 
good news is good news, bad news is bad news. The fact that ISM is telling us recession is either here or going to get really bad. The fact that, you know, South Korean export numbers, oh my gosh. And South mm -hmm. Korean export numbers are a perfect, I mean, absolutely perfect indicator of future economic activity because they make all the stuff that we put into all this stuff. What's going on, guys? Want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Curve. They are the one-stop shop credit cards that helps you take control of your personal finances. Here's the reason that I personally love this company. These guys are all about helping you manage and maximize your personal cash flow. We have been talking for the last couple months about everything that the Fed is doing with raising interest rates. Obviously, this is not, no one's got a crystal ball. This is not financial advice, but I think it makes sense more than ever now for companies to be managing their cash flow and for you as an individual to be managing your personal cash flow as well. Curve makes it super, super easy to do that. Even I can do it as a technological Philistine. They aggregate all of your spending information in one place. They make it super easy to plan, but they actually go one step further than that. They have a very cool feature called go back in time, which allows you to switch payments from one card to another. So if you have an unexpected expense crop up, boom, you can move that over to your credit card, free up some cash. Or maybe you learned too late that you could have earned more rewards by spending on a different card. Boom, Curve has you covered there too. And the last thing that I'll say is, if you click the link at the bottom of this episode, you'll get $20 in Curve cash, but you'll only get that if you click the vanity link at the bottom of this episode. Plus, that gives me the credit as well. So thank you, Curve. I appreciate you caring about cash flow. Guys, click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell my I sent you. You know, to Mark's point, I, I think I, I think it's really important to, to realize, just as Mark noted, that the financial system really is changing over time. And, you know, a lot of what we see today is a product of manipulation. Now, if you think back 100 years ago, now today when we think of interest rates is rising, we think that's, you know, that's bearish, right? But 100 years ago, when there wasn't that much of a, the central bank influence was smaller, seeing rising interest rates was actually very bullish. Thank because you. when you have interest rates going higher, what that means is that you have demand for money. It's like seeing wages go higher, right? There's a tremendous demand huh. for labor. There's a tremendous demand for money. That means that the economy is booming. All right, now, Joseph, that, you're my oh. new best friend. I mean, <laughs> no, seriously. No one, no one, no one talks about this. It, it, it Low just completely changed, yeah. are a sign of economic weakness, not strength. High um, interest rates are a sign of economic strength, not weakness. And if you look around the world, if you look around the world, in every country where there is strength, they have high rates, not low. And every country that is in a demographic decline and a deflationary world, they have low, zero, and even negative interest rates. And this, this illusion that we've created that somehow, oh no, those are good numbers because we can discount future cash flows at this lower discount rate but your cash flows are going to be less good because growth is bad. So I don't, I, I just don't, well, I do understand because the memification and the gamification of markets fomented by technology and loose money created a gambler's paradise. And that's what we live in today, right? The investors are gone. The investors mm -hmm. are people who buy assets below fair value. Well, everything's above fair value. I mean, everything in the traditional world is above fair value, not crypto, but but traditional markets. Okay, traders trade; they don't really care. Spec speculators are the opposite of hedgers. Hedgers are people like oil producers who sell the oil forward, and, they, and the speculator takes the other side of that because someone has to buy for every sell. But the gamblers are the people who buy stuff just because it's moving and going up, and then they buy it with leverage or they use options. And when my, I guess he's. 15 now. No, 16, because he's driving. When my 16-year-old nephew is texting me, hey. I thought I'm you were going to say son there for a second, Mark. I was like, you should no, know no, that. No, no, no. He's only 11. He's only 11, and, and we're, you know, we're going to do, go do Magic the Gathering tonight together. So, But that's all good. But no, my 16-year-old nep nephew um, said, hey, do you, do you know anything about options? I'm like, oh, God. Stop. Stop. No, no, no. Right? You want to buy a stock, buy a stock. But don't buy it to trade it. Buy it because you believe in the company, you believe in the product. Do not buy options because you can only have to pay 15 cents and maybe it could go to 30 cents. 85% of the time it goes to zero. So mm. anyway. Does that mean you should sell options? 
Yes, yes. <laughs> jo- Joseph is my new best friend. I mean, he he's like the only person I've talked uh, to in the last however many years who actually. Mm-hmm. Oh man, this is crazy. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm loving mothers. this. I'm loving right. this friendship that we're building here. <laughs> um, uh, you, you, you know what's funny? I what you, what you were starting to say there as well before Joseph about uh, markets from or lessons from a hundred years ago in financial markets not necessarily playing playing out now. I listened to, so we, I don't know if you know this, Joseph, but Mark and I took a, a break uh, one week a year for, for Thanksgiving. Uh, and we actually aired your episode with William White and Jack on on this show. I feel like oh, co thanks. thanks, guys. I listened to it. There was, yeah, we got a lot of really positive audience feedback, which is one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on this week. But uh, there was a great quote that William gave during that episode, which was some famous physicist was asked, is physics hard? He says, no, but imagine if the molecules had feelings. Or something to that degree. Yeah, you that's know? an awesome quote. Really, really just, loved it. It just so shows good. you why economics doesn't work very well. It's just fundamentally yeah. the wrong tools, wrong tools at all. Gentlemen, I want to get uh, not called the dismal thought. science for nothing. Hundred um, yeah. percent. I want to get your your closing thoughts on jobs report and the market reaction, and then I want to get your thoughts on uh, maybe zooming out a little bit to twenty twenty three, what we can expect. So. You know, it, positive reaction to a job speed. There was something like 2,000 expected. We added 263,000 instead. I want to zoom out and sort of draw a little bit of a connection. There's a great, I actually, there's a there's something called the Daily Shot. I don't know if you get it, but they send you kind of charts every other day or something like that. And the, the last one that they sent, so shout out to those guys. But the last one that they sent was kind of showing consumer spending. And they charted that over credit card growth. And, you know, you can see these sort of worrisome signs, right? A lot of people are like, why, why haven't things changed? So you're starting to see, you know, person consumer spending has been startling, startlingly strong, real consumer spending, not inflation, like real consumer spending has been very strong. There's at the same time, you're starting to see people's savings, right? The amount of that they have in savings dwindle down and their credit cards go up. So I'm making an inference here, but I think you can basically take those three data points and say, people are not reacting positively to the new dynamic, the new world where money actually has a cost again, where all of this this crazy speculative mania that we've endured over the past two years that in some ways monetary p- policy sort of pushed us into or at least encouraged us to, to move out into, into the risk spectrum. I think people are having a little bit of, there's a little bit of a delay in people adjusting to, I hate to use the new normal because it's so overused, but sort of the new normal. So what are both of your conclusions on state of the labor market, consumer spending, like have people and companies adjusted to what the Fed is trying to tell us, or are they still fighting against gravity? Look, the, the birth, the, the labor number is just the birth death ratio, right? It's just the idiocy mm-hmm. of saying that we're still in an economic expansion. Therefore there are more companies being formed than are dying. Mm-hmm. Layoffs, reported layoffs are off the charts. Company closures are off the charts. Housing, absolute shit show. Uh, you know, people can't move, right? They, they can't get a new mortgage because they're locked in a 3%. No way they can afford a 6 or 7%. So the jobs number is just so ridiculous because 70% of the numbers are literally mythical. They're, they're just made up. And, and it gets exacerbated this time of year because of seasonal hiring for things like Black Friday and, and the Christmas season. Those aren't long-term fulfilling jobs. I think, I think, and I don't love the guy, but at least Peter Schiff actually did the math, right? We created 14,000 manufacturing jobs, like jobs that actually build things. And that's, that's not a big expansion. It was the lowest jobs number, even at the headline, it was the lowest number since April. Um, so it, it wasn't a good number, but people reacted to it like, because again, it's the, take the bar off the high jump rack, put it on the ground, jump over it. Yay, I'm the high jump champion. No, you're not. So we lower the number to 2,000, 200,000, and it's 263. Yeehaw. It's still a small number. And it's not even a real number. 70% of them are just pulled out of the air. Yeah, no, I, I think that, think that's that's a really good point. It, it's really hard to know what the number of jobs are. There's so many things happening in the economy, a lot of shifts. So to get an accurate count as to how many jobs you 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 are creating, it's not easy. But what I do find comforting, though, is the wages. Now, wages are are just going higher by a number of measures. So even if you don't really know how many people are working or how the underlying shifts are, this price mechanism I think works. 
labor market is somewhat more competitive. I and mean, if you see people able to get higher wages, then th th that just suggests to me some degree of tightness. And when you combine that, one though, thing, Joseph, let me ask you about this because I, I I think that's a really really good point. But the one question I also have is, one job is one job. It's like one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, except they're not equal. A manufacturing job at $70,000 a year is different than a law firm job at $140,000 a year is different than a restaurant job at $35,000 a year. Yet they all show up as one job. And if people are being laid off by Google and Amazon and they're getting a job at, at Wendy's, that's net net a loss of wages, is it not? Or am I missing something? Yeah, I'm not really familiar with the with the um, exactly how they calculate that. I'd assume they make enough adjustments so that you know, it'd be at least comparable. But I mean, to be kind of, I, you know, I, I don't have tremendous amounts of confidence in the government, but I think they could probably <laughs> probably do this right. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's well to that point. It's like it's like retail sales don't adjust for population growth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what? That, that, what do you mean don't adjust? Really? No, really. That's really. They that's do not crazy. adjust for population growth. But but you know though that one of the big things, the huge huge macro regime shifts we're having is that we actually have fewer people working today. Labor participation yeah. rate is low, especially among boomers, and also we have a lot less immigration. So that's kind of the huge macro sea change that's contributing to to higher wages. Uh, so you know if you look if you remember Chair Powell's speech, he was he was saying that if you look at pre-pandemic estimates of where the labor force would be compared to where they are today, we're short about three and a half million people. And so that's that's kind of putting upward pressure on wages. And at least in, in my personal experience walking around, there, I do see a lot of help wanted signs. So I think that yeah. that is having an impact there. Mm. I'll say but, one one data point. Oh, sorry. Go, go, go. Yeah, go. I was going to go touch upon your savings point. Now, the, the way that that was that's done is that they look at all the money that people uh, receive in their income and then they look at how much they spend and like the differences they're saving. And during the pandemic, something interesting happened and, and it's not just that there was a lot of semi checks and people got a lot of income but a lot of people who are you know middle upper middle class rich people they usually take their money and they spend it on travel they spend it on you know high-end restaurants and so forth and they just weren't able to do that when everything was closed and so that resulted in them sitting on a lot of money that they would have otherwise spent and it's not just in the u.s uh, if you look at work from the ecb it's the same thing in Euroland as well they have you know i think it's about uh, 800, 900 billion euros worth of um, what they think of as excess savings. So what's happening now is that all these people who were, you know, who were saved up to go on vacation a couple years ago, last year or something like that, they are now finally spending that. And so you see tremendous, tremendous demand for things like hotels. If you look at, if you guys try to get, go to get a hotel room, it's it's really, really expensive now. So that, that excess saving things, it, it is playing a role. Um, but it's probably being spent by just a certain segment of the population. No, that that's, is probably I, more I, I, will, I will corroborate, Joseph, again, just brilliant insight there. Uh, again, the second and third order effects of, of things like stimulus. But I'll give you just an anecdote. So um, we take a ski trip at Christmas. This year we said, oh, instead, we always go to Colorado. This time we'll go to Utah. You know, my, my, wife's, my wife's got a cousin there. So we, we and this was even in advance. It wasn't even like last second. Long story short, put in Travelocity, the hotels, and they pop up. And the montage, $3,400. I'm like, for a week? I'm like, no, for a night. Wow. And I'm going, what? <laughs> on, on what planet? Uh. So, so I'm staying in a crappy little, you know, Airbnb that isn't even walkable to the slopes because I'm cheap. But holy... I mean, I've never seen that before. I mean, I've, I've uh, yeah, I, and have, I've just never seen you, that. I've never seen it ever. Have you tried to buy furniture recently, by no. any chance? Oh, I, I when I first I, I saw I bought a place like I think late twenty twenty. I went to buy furniture. The wait time was like three months, and then they kept delaying it and delaying it, and I didn't get my couch until six months later. So it takes a while. Yeah, yeah. Jason, uh, my, my co-founder, actually bought a couch had almost a year long wait time in the process. The company actually went bankrupt. Oh, <laughs> so he, I forget what he ended up. He ended up, I went over to his house on Saturday. He has a couch there. So I don't know. It's something, somehow it ended up getting resolved, but yeah, it's, it's not, 
guys, we've got uh, just over 10 minutes left. I'd love to get your thoughts going into this coming year, right? So obviously, well, you know, if we rewind the clocks back about 12 months, very few people were saying at that point, it seems obvious now, but very few people were saying that the Fed was going to hike rates even at all, right? You remember if the rhetoric back in 2021 was, we're not even thinking about thinking, thinking. about hiking rates. They inserted a whole artificial level in between thinking. So what <laughs> do you think uh, might be going on? Like, Take it any way that you want it. What are you sort of preparing yourself for, for 2023? Whoever's feeling yeah. brave. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start with one little thing. So I think the not thinking about thinking about works because I think he would say, we're not thinking about thinking about cutting rates at this point. Mm. And my guess is they will cut rates next year aggressively because I think the economic data is going to be abysmal, you know, technical term. Um, I think it's going to be really, really bad. And you know, I just saw this morning for the first time, Goldman and JP Morgan are ratcheting down their S&P earnings numbers. I think it's the first time since, is it 1971 or 80? It doesn't matter. A long time. First time in a long time that the average of Wall Street estimates for 2023 is negative for the S&P. I mean, it hmm. hasn't been for 30 or 40 years. So and it's only like minus one or two, but still it's minus. And so I... I think is that really true. They haven't estimated a decline yes. in earnings for yes. forty or fifty years. It, it was it wasn't fifty, but it was it was at least thirty or forty. I mean, it was it was crazy, and um, and because the numbers always eight percent, right? Mm. And if you looked at the chart, it was like almost perfect blocks because it's always going to be up eight percent because that's mm. what people think, and and that's the thing is it's the average, right? It's the man that drowns in a stream six inches deep, an inch on the sides, and ten feet in the middle. So if 8% is the average, but you had some that were say it'd be up 20 and some that a few people would say it would be down in any current year. But I, I think the not thinking about thinking about cutting um, is, is one thing that I'm watching. And look, I, I was the wrongest of the wrong in January. I, I really no way believed that Powell would, would go through with as many hikes as he did. So, you know, I'll, I'll take that one. But the other thing that I think people are, are not prepared for is what would happen because I'm a deflationist, right? I think that demographics and and supply demand imbalances and, and just aging populations are all deflationary. And so I, I think we've hit an inflationary peak and that we're going to be right back to 2% next year, unless if, if COVID zero goes away in China and China reopens, that's 2 million barrels a day of oil demand. We don't have it. I mean, oil prices could easily, easily approach a couple hundo. And that would cause a crazy over response, I believe, to uh, interest rates and, and fears of, of durable inflation. To me, that would be the final cathartic spike before the depression. And if you go back in the history of depressions, there is always a commodity spike right before it happens. Hmm. Yeah, I think oil is definitely a risk there. And not just that. I mean, if you think about what's happening on with, uh, with Russia, I mean, you could think of uh, the West as fighting a proxy war with Russia. And maybe one of the weapons that they decide to use is, is their energy lever. They've been using it in gas. Maybe they could do other things as well. I mean, uh, if I were an oil producing cartel. And I heard people were trying to create a buyer's cartel by putting a price cap somewhere. I, I, I try to get ahead of that. You know, that's, that's not something I ever want people to think about. <laughs> but, right. That's right. But, you know, more broadly speaking, though, about next year and the years ahead, I think we are really at this inflection point where there's a fundamental change in, in how the economy works. And if you listen to some of the central bank speeches, like Brainerd's recent speech, I think the policymakers are beginning to, re beginning to realize this now. So when you, when you think about economic growth, what that means really is being able to pr produce more goods and services each year. So let's say you're a car factory. Uh, this year, you're producing 1,000 cars. Next year, let's say you produce 1,010. So you're growing. You're producing more goods and services. And to produce more goods and services, you either need to have more inputs, let's say more labor, or you can have better productivity, say better technology. So you're getting more output out of the same inputs. 
the big shift that's happening now is that we don't have a growing workforce population anymore. Uh, for the past hundred years, our population has steadily been growing. But since um, I think the boomers had smaller families, and so today we just have a shrinking workforce population. Now, if our workforce population can't grow, then obviously we can't have perpetual economic growth simply because we have fewer workers. Fewer inputs means fewer outputs. So that that's, I think, is happening really as we speak right now, since data suggests that the boomers retired early. So we already have a shortage of workers and that's going to persist. So we probably will have recession and maybe a long recession. But the thing is, that's going to mean a different thing than it did in the past. Because if the recession is happening because there are fewer workers, well, that means unemployment will stay low. That means wages will continue to rise. So it's not going to be a recession that we're used to. It's going to be something that we haven't seen before. And it's not. It's going to be something that I think it's not really going to affect people that much because yep. they'll still have well, their job. We've actually That's seen it. I mean, Joseph, again, mm -hmm. Joseph is 100% right. Um, I thought about that. And, and, but we've seen it. We just haven't seen it in the United States. But we've seen it in Japan for the last yeah, 30 years. Yeah. Nope. And, you know, the Vapors song should come on now if they can put that in over the weekend. The Vapors, you know, turning Japanese. I think I'm turning Japanese. I, I really love that so. song. And, song. and that, that is what's happening. So it, it is axiomatic that GDP is equal to working age population growth plus productivity. That is a truism. It's like assets equals liabilities plus owner's equity. That that Those are truths. Okay. And we know with certainty for the next 20 years, the working age population growth is going to sub, you know, probably sub half a percent. And we know productivity because there's too many 65 to 85 year olds. I'm going to be one in six years. Uh, we're not that productive. So it's not, we're not nice people. We're nice people, but we're just not productive the way we measure productivity. So productivity is going to go sub one. So we're going to have sub 2% growth for 20 years. Easy. I mean, 100%, probably sub 1% growth, just like Japan. But when you go to Japan, People are dressed nicely. They drive nice cars. The flats are beautiful. Tokyo, yeah, it's not my style, but it's a beautiful city. It's clean. People are highly paid. You know, the, they, they have doormen who are very highly paid, exactly as Joseph described. And the average person in Tokyo- Big alcohol problem though, high suicide. Well, there's, there's, I mean, it's, there's certainly problems. <laughs> I mean, there's certainly problems, but it's- and the smoking, and there's all kinds of, but, but the thing is, most people didn't feel the lost two decades in the stock market because they weren't big mm. stockholders. And they didn't really feel the lack of inflation because their life was actually pretty good. And they had stable jobs and they you know had nice flats. And so I think that's what we're headed for. And then on top of it, I'm sure you guys have played with you know, chatbot or whatever it's called, um, the uh, open AI I, thing. This, no, look, today, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal this from Josh Wolf and others have said it, right? This is literally, literally like, you know, the, the nuclear bomb is tested and you're like, huh, I wonder if that's going to be a big deal. <laughs> like that. I mean, this is, this for the future, this is, this is a technological day in history that we're going to talk about for centuries, and if we're going to the singularity, which I always, I always go to Wally, -E, the movie where they're around mm. the ship and they got the screen and they're sitting and they're big and fat and, and they're drinking their big gulps. Like, I don't want that. But what, what they're basically saying is that AI is going to replace us all. And so we're just going to be. And there's actually a pretty interesting article that I read. I'll post it or I'll tweet it that this guy was saying, that really, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to meditate and we're supposed to be and we're supposed to think and it's going to unleash all this creativity. I'm like, but but the creativity is all going to be being done for us. So, I, And it's a little scary and it's a little dystopian. He wanted to think it was more utopian that you just live a life of you know being a sentient being. Like, yeah, okay, I'd be healthy and I'd live longer. I'd probably be a little happier. But I feel like I'd be bored. But... I, I, I don't know. I'm, I kind of like, <laughs> as much as people piss on fractional reserve banking, I like it. As much as people piss on the Fed, 
I think a tiny bit of inflation that is theft, I, 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 it is theft, but a little bit of it creates that incentive mechanism for the, the, the people at the top to aspire, which creates jobs for the masses. And we all can you know, buy our cars and our bikes and take vacations and a pretty nice life in the United States. I mean, not for everybody and it's not equal, but you know, there's opportunity. You have opportunity. And, uh, you know, I told the story, I think I told the story on this show a couple weeks ago. I met this young woman in my, who was driving my Lyft and she grew up in this horrible part of Philly, South Philly. And she escaped like bad life. And, you know, she's working a job full time and she drives and Lyft at night. And she was listening to Preston Pish's podcast. She should have been listening to ours, but she was listening to Preston Pish's podcast. And I was like, wow. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm saving my money and I'm, I'm investing and I want to learn about crypto and wow. Hmm. And I was really impressed by that. So here's someone trying to change their stars. And, and so I'm, I'm, I, I know I, I live privileged, I privileged life. I, I got lucky. I had good parents and, but, but our life is pretty good compared to countries that don't have good fractions or banking and don't have good rule of law. So I, I'm on sunrise Saturday. I, I am pretty excited but I think I'm going to be bored in a world where the machines do everything. I think you make a really good point, Mark. I mean, technology can vastly improve productivity. What if we have robots and robots who make robots, right? We'll have basically <laughs> infinite growth. Um, but then that brings new problems. I mean, think about it this way. So um, for most of history, people struggled to survive. Now we have yeah. tremendous amounts of food, tremendous amounts of abundance. We can eat as much as we want. And that creates a whole host of problems. Obesity, for example. Uh, so cancer, all sorts of health problems, because we're not uh, we're not suited to have this kind of abundance. Now, if we yeah. take it to the next level where we don't even have to work. Man, that's going to create a whole level of problems that uh, we wouldn't have to learn new social structures. Or maybe we can't learn to, to live in that kind of world. It, it's, yeah. it'll, be, it'll be interesting. I will say this. I think especially if there's an element of pragmatism in you, it's very easy to look at some of these new technologies and say, hey, it's better when we aren't all looking at our phones. I think it becomes increasingly obvious if you, if you rewind 100 years, 200 years, 500 years, I don't have to think about it. I'd rather live in this time, 100,000. 100%. I think the wheel of progress, it's not always perfectly linear, but man, does it drive in the right direction. I, success, I personally think. As Joseph said, success is defined as you spend less time on survival. Right. And, mm. and, and, and it's not, not success. I'm sorry. Yeah. Evolution. I mean, um, prosperity, right. Uh, evolution and prosperity of, prosperity. of society um, is about spending less time on survival. And here's the, the one thing though, that, that is interesting. And, and I was going to write a, a post about this, but I'm gonna have to really think about it before I write it. There's a lot of people saying, well, you know, this is wrong because now people can write a paper using this, this AI and that's wrong. I'm like, well, okay, why? Why is a human mind creating that paper and converting energy into value different than a computer intelligence creating that paper? Okay. And I, I'm not sure that, and so then there's so the same thing about NFTs, right? Someone, Jackson Pollock creates a piece of art and everyone's like, ooh, ah. You do a generative AI that creates a piece of art that kind of looks like a Pollock, and it could be equally pleasing or displeasing, depending on what your taste is. But the people who like it would say, well, why is that less good? Because a human didn't make it. And it was really interesting. This is, this is the great one. Someone asked the AI, well, what should I do about students cheating using the AI? And the AI responded, this was amazing. He said, well, you could assign tasks that required problem solving and collaboration and group discussion to foment further exploration of the idea. I mean, yes, yeah. it's, it's kind of like, why does anyone listen to not the very best person in freshman chemistry in the world? Why should anyone listen to a TA? We all know who the best professor is. Everyone should watch that on the internet. And then we should go into small groups with the TA and go really deep into discussion, dialogue and debate and search of truth. And so I am pretty excited about this idea of having more time to think, to reason, to 
to collaborate, to have these kind of discussions. Maybe we'll have to do this twice or three times a week, Michael, instead of once. We might. Who knows? We might be out of a job. I, once they learn how to speak, then Mark, you and I are, uh, we are, we are uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, automated podcast. They're not as good yeah. looking as you. Uh, hey, you're the silver fox, my man. Uh, all right, before we make Joseph too uncomfortable, guys, this has been uh, an enormous amount of fun uh, for me. Thank you, Mark. Uh, honestly, missed you last week, man. Joseph, appreciate you coming on the show. Um, Guys, we'll have to do this uh, combo. No, look, this is this. Yeah. Joseph, I, I, I said, I, you know, we're, we're certainly brothers from another mother. And uh, it was really, really great to hear your perspective on on uh, so many ideas that I share. I, you know, I always say, right, if two people always have the same opinion, one is unnecessary. My guess is we disagree on some stuff. Michael and I certainly do. Um, but that's what makes life great, right? Dialogue and debate in search of truth. And that's what we try to do on Sunrise Saturday. So thanks, Michael. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure to be here and glad to see that we're on the same page and so many topics, so many ideas. It makes me feel more confident in my views. So <laughs> thanks awesome. so much. All right. Appreciate you both.